0: It's a wonderful thing to be back here in this uh, in this pulpit today, and thank you so much for uh, for allowing me to share with you again today. We have a the last service of 2018 today, and as we look toward 2019, I thought that we would share together for a little while on new beginnings as we look forward to a new year new beginnings our text is going to be found in Genesis chapter 35 verses 1 through 5 and that is uh, where Jacob is getting his family ready to go back to Bethel God has told Jacob to take his his uh, whole family family and all of his people didn't go back to Bethel where he had first had an encounter with God. And so we're going to use that as an illustration of some things that we can do. But uh, before we get into the text, just different ways of dealing with issues that come up into the church I thought you might find interesting. A small town had three churches, a small town in the south had three churches, and The churches all had a problem with squirrels in the church building, and they had to figure out a way to deal with these squirrels in the church building. Now, the three churches were Presbyterian, Methodist, and Baptist. The Presbyterian church, believing in predestination, felt like they were just predestined to have squirrels and so they just learned to live with them can't do anything about it we're predestined to have squirrels we're just going to have squirrels and so during the service squirrels would run by sorry we're just going to have to live with the squirrels the Methodists, being some of the nicest people in the world decided they would treat the squirrels with kindness and so they trapped the squirrels and took them out to the park and let them go, and within three days the squirrels were back. But that was just a nice way to treat the squirrels. But the Baptists, they came up with the best plan of all. The Baptists voted them in, made them members, and then only saw them at Christmas and Easter. (laughs) You betcha. All churches have problems. All churches do. The church in the Middle East is suffering mightily at the hands of ISIS and the Wahhabi Muslims. Compared to that, with some exceptions, the problems of the churches in America seem pretty small. Our churches have problems like personality conflicts within the church, but that's going to happen no matter how many people you have together. Even in families where there's nothing but a husband and wife, you'll have personality conflicts from time to time. Churches have problems with the old way versus the new way of doing things. Are we going to have a traditional service or are we going to have a contemporary service? or Are we going to do a blended service? What are we going to do? Well, you know that's the kind of problems we have. Uh, we tend to have here in the uh, in the United States. Compared to that, with some exceptions, the problems of America seem pretty small. I was in uh, when I was going through my officer's training in Quantico. I was invited to First Baptist Church, Richmond, to sing a solo for a service one time, and. Uh, Luther Joe Thompson, Dr. Thompson was the pastor, and he'd been there for about seven years. And before the service started, we were visiting in his office, and uh, I, you know, we were just talking about how things were going. And he said, We've got a problem. And I said, So what's your problem, Dr. Thompson? And he said, Changing the order of service. You got a problem changing the order of service. He said it hasn't been changed in 15 years. And I want to change the order of service. And I said, uh, why is that a problem? He said, because we've got some people that are used to things the way they are. And if I make the slightest change, and I have already said that I want to do this, then they're going to be up in arms. I've already been notified that we've got a real problem. I said, what are you wanting to do to this order of service? Are you wanting to put the sermon first or, or something like that? He said, no, all I want to do is move the doxology from before the offering to after the offering. Quit singing that." Just move the doxology. That's the biggest problem that First Baptist Church in Richmond had after 15 years was moving the doxology. They had, our churches don't have problems. If that's the biggest, don't you wish that was the biggest problem that you had? The church, this church is going through a transition period with all the challenges and stress that that entails And as we begin a new year, let me encourage you with this reminder. Jesus tells us this church will be just fine. Jesus in Matthew 16, 18 tells his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a five-point sermon, by the way. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This church will be strong and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What must this church do to make sure you are the most effective for God in 2019? And what can you and I do as individuals, to make sure we are what God wants us to be in 2019 as we begin a new year. Well, let's see what Jacob got his family to do to move on to a new beginning with God as we read our text. Again, our text is Genesis 35, verses 1 through 5. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, And build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress." who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. The first thing we see, I see four points here that apply to those of us who want to look toward 2019 with a godly direction on what we can do. The first thing I see is they got themselves spiritually fit. Verse 4 says, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had. Now, where did they get these foreign gods? If you look back and you read the, the history behind what had gone on in Jacob's life, you see that Uh, Rachel, Jacob's wife, had stolen the little gods from Laban, from her father. And she had brought those little gods into Jacob's house when they had gotten married. So there's where some of the little gods came from. And then we also know that Jacob's sons, when they went to Shechem and they mutilated all the men in Shechem. It says that they they stole all the stuff that the men in Shechem had. And so probably those guys had little gods sitting around. They probably stole the little gods of Shechem and brought them into Jacob's house. So we had the little gods from Laban. We had the little gods from Shechem that were brought into, into Jacob's house. And then Jacob's servants, because they used servants from the local neighborhood who weren't part of the uh, uh, kingdom of Israel. And so Jacob's servants probably had their own gods and they brought them in. So he had little gods from all over the place that he had allowed to come into his house. Jacob had made a big mistake by allowing these gods to come into his house in the first place. He should have never allowed that to happen. But now, in this text, we find that was then, this is now. The gods are here. So what do we do? What do we do about it? Well, he needs to get rid of them. What do you suppose are the false gods that we have in our lives today that you and I have in our lives today a false God is anything that we give priority over our relationship with God anything that we allow to get in between us and our doing what God wants us to do or in between us and our having the proper relationship with God that is a that is a false God for us adults I think of three P's that can be false gods. The first P that can be a false god is possessions, things that we have. Wanting more stuff can get in the way of our having a right relationship with God. We want better stuff. We want newer stuff. We want shinier stuff. We want stuff with more gigabytes. We want to go. We want to have more and more. And so sometimes focusing on that instead of our relationship with God gets in the way and possessions become a God to us, become a little God, the little gods that we need to get rid of. That's the first P. The second P that we have as a little God is prestige. If I believe as a Christian, or if I do what I, or behave as a Christian, I'll get marginalized. I'll do what it takes to get recognized. I want prestige. I'll do, you know, if I'm at work, there are certain things that the people do where I work after hours. They go to happy hour. In the military, uh, they used to, uh, go to the officers' club after hours, and that's where you'd go to get recognized. Maybe it's—it was a bunch of baloney. You didn't really need to do that, but people used it as an excuse to do stuff like that. And so you do what you have to do, and that gets in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Stuff that you have to confess later on. That's—that's that's so that you could create prestige. You do what you think you need to do to get prestige, and that becomes a little God in your life. The third thing, the third P is power. I will do what it takes to get power in my life, to climb the ladder of success, to get myself higher on up, becomes more important than God in my life. Possessions, prestige, power, Those become little gods that take God's place in our lives. For young people, they're a little bit different a lot of times. It's important to young people a lot of times to be better looking than others or to be smarter than others. And then the possessions come back in again, having things that others don't have. But these can all be gods in your life, and you don't want that, folks. You want to have God in his rightful place. Now, am I saying that God wants us to act dumb and ugly? No. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God wants us to use whatever we have and whatever we are for him first. And put everything else in its rightful place. The Lord says you shall have no other gods before me. So, Jacob's people got themselves spiritually fit. Second thing we see is they set lifestyle priorities. Verse 4 says they sacrificed the rings in their ears. Earrings were considered symbols of worldliness, in much the same way, dressing suggestively. Or having certain kinds of tattoos is considered worldliness today. And so those people had earrings, and so they took them off just like stopping dressing suggestively or covering up certain kinds of tattoos might be a way of saying, okay, God, I'm going to quit doing that and put you in your rightful place. And so they set lifestyle priorities. The rings also were made of, speci- of, of, of precious metal. And so they were not only sacrificing the way they looked, and, uh, but they were also sacrificing something that was expensive for God. They took those rings off and they gave them to Jacob. And here's some more symbolism. Only free people wore earrings. Those people that had, of Jacob's family, that took off the earrings were saying, I'm no longer a free person. I am symbolically giving myself as a servant to God. So they took off the earrings and they gave them Jacob, as a symbolic gesture of giving them to God. What about your precious things today? Everybody's specific ungodly gods are different. What are yours? What are your ungodly gods? Would you sacrifice them to have a new beginning with God in 2019? Someday we're going to die. When you're gone, What will those who knew you best say about you? People that knew you best, are they going to say, boy, he sure got rich. Of course, you couldn't take it with you, but you did get rich. Or are they going to say, boy, she beat the system. Nobody expected a woman to be able to do all the stuff she did. Of course, now she's dead, so it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Or will they say, you could sure count on that person to do what God would have wanted her to do or wanted him to do. No matter what happened, you could expect that person to do the Christian thing. Now that goes on with you, you see. Put God in his rightful place. Set lifestyle priorities. Put Christian principles first. So they got themselves spiritually fit They set lifestyle priorities. Third, they confessed before God and mankind. Verse 4 says, They brought the gods and rings to Jacob and buried them under a tree. The purpose of this exercise was to purify themselves uh, before God. Verse 2 says that that's what they were supposed to do is purify themselves. They went through all of this for that purpose. Before they set out on their journey, God had set before them. So how do we purify ourselves today? How do we as a group of folks that call ourselves Christians now purify ourselves today? We get there by humbly and broken-hearted before God. Admitting sin in our lives, admitting that we have something going on and begging forgiveness and offering ourselves to God to do whatever he wants us to. That's how we purify our lives. Getting rid of the gods in our lives and coming before God and asking forgiveness and saying, oh God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I, brokenhearted, come before you. Offer myself to you to do whatever it is. Just show me the way. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 51, 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. Dr. Charlie Culpepper. Some of you all may have known him. Dr. Culpepper was a Southern Baptist missionary in the Shantung province of China back in the 1930s. Dr. Culpepper and his missionary friends, or the people that were missionaries with him there in the northern province of Shantung in China, uh, had a deep sense all of a sudden that they needed to pray for revival stronger than anything they had ever felt before. And so those missionaries gathered together at a place of retreat and they began praying and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and I was Blessed to hear Dr. Culpepper tell about this in about 1970 when I was on the staff at First Baptist Church in Clovis. And Dr. Culpepper told us, he said they just, he said, they just couldn't get enough praying. They just kept broken-hearted. They were just tear-stained prayers as they just kept on praying. Oh, God. God bring revival why are you touching us so like this I don't know what's going on but God please bring revival show us he said that just the manifestation of the Holy Spirit moving among them and giving them a sense of his presence as he said and I, I, I don't remember how many times he said they prayed all night but I remember at least once where they prayed all night and then they just kept on praying God give us revival show us what to do move in us move among us And after they had prayed until they could pray no more, all the missionaries left and went back to their place of of, uh, service. And it seemed the Holy Spirit had already started working among the Chinese people in those places of service. And people started coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in record numbers. It was called the Great Shantung Revival. Some of you may have read about that. If you haven't, look it up online. The Shantung Revival took place. And thousands of people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And the revival went on for years. And in 1935... The missionaries had to leave China because the Japanese were coming in and it became uh, unhealthy for them to stay in China. 1935, the the Japanese came in. 1947, China became a communist country and the Christian missionaries couldn't stay there. So they they had to leave, not being able to leave their witness behind. And Dr. Culpepper said... He said, I'm convinced that God made the Shantung revival happen because he knew the challenge that was going to come to his church at that time, and we weren't going to be there. Dr. Culpepper long since has died and gone to to his reward in heaven, but do you know what happened in in the late 80s when China finally opened up and they were able to go back to Shantung province? Our folks found out that the church not only survived, but it thrived during those times when things were going on back there. When you would think that it would have gone badly for the church, the church continued to grow because the gates of hell would not prevail against it. The church in China continues to be alive. It is It is put down by the communist government, but there are house churches and there's more. You can can read about that. But you see, now, going back to that prayer meeting, I was one of six or seven of us that were on our knees with Dr. Culpepper around a bed in a bedroom as we prayed for God to bring revival to our church. And I listened to Dr. Culpepper pray and it was it was like he had touched the hem of the garment oh what a prayer he was he just knew jesus so intimately he had he had come and confessed his sins and confessed his need for the Holy Spirit in his life. And because of that and the prayers of the others, the Shantung revival took place and the great working of the Holy Spirit had happened. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. And that's what had happened in the Shantung Revival. If this church will experience new beginnings in 2019, its members will purify themselves before God and man. Purify ourselves. Before God, because He already knows your heart, heartfelt on bended knee, and before man to actively promote God's kingdom. They confessed before God and mankind. Point four, they set out. Verse five says, then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and his people got with it. They did not just plan to go, they went. A church can make all the long range plans and vision statements there are, but until they put them into action, they are just meaningless exercises. A church in Northern Virginia where I was interim pastor, it was a Rock Hill Baptist Church in Stafford County, had a shell of a building. Now, I mean, they had. The regular stuff, but, but they had built a shell of a building, and on the outside, it looked completed. You walk on the inside, and the, the studs were still visible, and the rafters were visible, and there was a plywood floor, and when I was the, uh, talking, when I first got there as interim pastor, I asked the chairman of the deacons, how long, you could tell it had been there a long time, I said, how long has this been just an empty shell like this? He said, 25 years. 25 years, why don't you finish it out? And he said, Well, because there's been a discussion about whether it's going to become an auditorium or education space for 25 years. And so I said, uh, After I'd been there, and I, I was interim pastor for like a year. And as before we got to the end of the time that I was going to be there, I, I said to the church, I said, folks, y'all are going to call a new pastor. Are y'all going to saddle him with this thing? And I said, let me ask you a question. How many of you want it to be a new auditorium? A few hands went up. I said, how many of you want it to be education space? Most of the hands went up. I said, there's your answer. Now, I'm not a member of the church, so I couldn't make the decision, obviously. But I said, I recommend that at the next business meeting, somebody stand up and make a motion, you turn it into education space. Y'all can do what you want to, but that's just my recommendation. And that, you remember my my sermon about Beadora? After, you know, when a decision's made, that everybody get on board? And so uh, I, I said, I recommend that everybody get on board with this thing, and let's have it done by the time your new pastor comes, so that you don't have to mess with it anymore. And they did that. And so they hired an architect. And by the time the new pastor came, they had already designed it, and then he got to put his input. And a year later, after the new pastor came, I was invited back to uh, speak to his one-year anniversary, and he took delight in showing me the new education space, which had a new pastor study, yeah, and, new, and, and all that stuff which they had, all, they had done because all the plans in the world are not worth a hoot if you don't get with it. And they did that. The church voted to make it happen, and they made it happen. You see, just get with it was what Jacob was being told here. And God was with them. Is one of your fears about committing totally to the Lord that he will bring you out on a limb And cut it off? Is that what you're afraid of? Are you afraid you'll lose your friends if you commit yourself to Christ? My mentor and pastor at Clovis, Walter Hunt, used to say Are you afraid you'll lose your friends if you become a Christian? Don't worry about it. Your friends will drop you like a hot potato. But God has new friends for you and a new way of life for you. And it'll be so much better than what you've had before. Don't worry about losing your friends. Deuteronomy 31.6 speaks to that. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I close with this illustration, Ira Sankey was the music director for Dwight Moody back at the end of the uh, the, uh, 19th century. And Ira Sankey was visiting a ranch in Montana and uh, a rancher friend owned the ranch and Ira was just visiting that. And they were out walking around the ranch one day and his friend looked on the horizon and what looked like a cloud his friend recognized was not a cloud at all, but instead it was a a cloud of smoke. And he said, "Uh uh-oh, there's a range fire burning and it's moving this way he said, we've got to get ready for that fire that's coming our way. And so they hooked up the team of horses to a plow, and they began plowing furrows around the farmhouse and around the corral, and they drove all the cattle in that they could. And so they they brought, they, they made the place as secure as they could for when the range fire came there that it would protect the house and the barn and the corrals and, and the livestock that they could save. And after a while, the range fire burned right up to the, the fire break that they had plowed and then burned on past the, the farmhouse and then the ranch house and then went on. And they stayed safe within the fire break. After it had burned on past, Ira Sankey went out to the burned area and there were still little smoldering clumps of bushes here and there. And he was just walking along looking at where the fire had burned. And my goodness, how much devastation there was. And one of the little smoldering bushes there he saw. And he just kicked it with his toe of his boot. And it wasn't a bush at all. But it was a mother hen. And when he kicked it, a whole bunch of little chickens came running out from under the wings of the mother hen that had burned to death, but had protected all those little chickens and kept them alive. And as a result of that experience, the mother sacrificing her life to keep all those little chickens alive, Ira Sankey wrote the song, Under His Wings. And the song says, Under His Wings, Under His Wings, who from his love can sever Under his wings, my soul shall abide and safely abide forever. Jesus offers us protection under his wings, so to speak. He sacrificed himself so that we could be protected now and forevermore under his wings. Out of chaos can come new life, an opportunity for a new beginning. This church is between pastors with important decisions being made. It's a naturally chaotic time for a church, a time from which new life can spring. This new life must begin in its leadership and its membership. Where do you personally stand in your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? Are you ready for a new beginning for yourself, for your family, for your church in 2019? Do you even know Jesus Christ yourself? Do you know him personally? Are you ready to give yourself to him today? Would you give yourself to him? We're going to have a time of commitment in just a second. On your little bulletin, you have a tear-off card. and Down at the bottom of one side of it, there are several questions. You'll have a time to... Take a look at those and see if one of them speaks to you. And one of them says, I am surrendering my life to Jesus for the first time. If you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do that in just a moment. Invite Christ into your life. And you can come up here to the front and talk to one of our counselors, or you can check that block on this, on this, this uh, communication card and take it out to the, to the desk outside but get your life right with Christ. Make Him your Lord and Savior. Get to know Him personally in a way that you've never known Him before. And Christian, you can renew your commitment to Him. Would you do that? Would you please stand and bow your heads with me now? Would you please stand as we enter this time of commitment to the Lord? Lord, I pray now, as we come to this time of commitment, that everybody in this room will look seriously at what you want us to do. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be open to your leadership through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear what you want to speak to us. Help us to be sincere about having a right relationship with you. Now, my friend, if you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, if you don't know Him, if you've never been born again, you can do that right now. The process is this. You acknowledge that you have sinned. The Bible says we all have. for the All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the payment for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And that's talking about eternal separation in a place the Bible calls hell. The most awful, horrible situation that you can be in. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's where you're bound to spend eternity. But Jesus was sent. God said, I, God so the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Jesus was sent to die to pay for your sins so you wouldn't have to. All you have to do is talk to God and say, God, I accept Jesus' death as payment for my sin. I invite him to come into my life and to be my master. I give myself to you right now. Please make me your child. Would you do that? Would you pray to invite Christ into your life? Oh God, I pray that right now, those who don't know you will pray to receive you as their Lord and Savior and that they will make that a public commitment. If you need to pray to receive Christ and you want to talk to somebody about next steps, we have counselors waiting at the front to talk to you right now. Or Christian, if you just need to commit your life to Christ, talk to Him right now to recommit your life to Him. Whatever the decision that you need to make, While we have just a couple of minutes of time now, you give your life to Christ afresh and anew. Christians praying. Do you know Christ? Oh, He's such a loving Lord. Set out on a new walk with Him just like Jacob led his family to do, a new walk, a new exciting life with him. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. You can have that wonderful life with him while you're still on earth and be assured of eternal life with Christ in heaven. Just give your life to him right now. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for giving your life for us. And I pray that not one of us will leave this room without having done business with you and that you will indeed help us to be faithful to you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Next week, you will have a special report during this time. And then I will see you in two weeks as we talk about I will lift my eyes to the hills whence cometh my help. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you in two weeks.